0: Hey everybody, it's Chelsea here, and welcome back to Let's Talk About It. Today's episode is Purple Rain Part 2, and it's a follow up to my last episode, Purple Rain Part 1. I know I've mentioned it before in quite a few of my earlier episodes that I am a survivor. Of domestic violence. And something that's really important is I want everyone to understand that anyone can face domestic violence. You know there's such a, a stigma around it and around survivors that if you find yourself in an abusive relationship that somehow makes you weak or stupid and when people find out they think to themselves or even say out loud to you what they would have done differently and how they would have been better or how it wouldn't have happened to them and I'm here to tell you that I've learned through personal experience and research that it can happen to anyone. And it happens so slowly. It's not something sudden. You know, my abuser just didn't come up to me one day and say, "Hey, let me take you to hell." That's not what happened. I don't really think that's how it happens for any of us. Of course, everyone's story is different, but I know a lot of people who who have survived it. And their stories kind of start out like mine. They met this person. They fell for this person. They're wonderful, charming. Everything they wanted in a significant other. And then one day, everything changed. Their person changed into somebody they didn't recognize. And then they made a shocking discovery, just like I did that they didn't recognize themselves anymore. That something about them was changing because of their experiences. Took me a long time to put the pieces together and for me to realize what was truly happening and what I was experiencing. Believe it or not, I was blind to the truth like I said even after everything he did I still thought he was a good guy and I was still willing to accept him back into my life at any moment the drop of a hat it didn't matter when you're faced with an abuser for so long you stop fighting and you just learn to accept it and do what you're told and that sounds strange it even sounds strange coming out of my mouth and I don't like to admit it I don't like to talk about it Mostly because I'm afraid of being judged. But my experiences belong to me. And if anyone wants to judge me for them, then that's their choice. And I don't have any control over it. But I do have control over myself. And so I'm going to choose to ignore it. Because this is a safe space to talk. Because I know I'm not the only one who's experienced this. And if you've experienced it, you're not stupid. You're not weak. And you didn't deserve it. It's not our fault that our abusers made the choice to be the person that they are. And I know that I need to stop blaming myself. We all need to stop blaming ourselves. It's not our fault. No one chooses to be abused. No one wants to be abused. And no one deserves it. But sometimes it happens. And you may not even realize it. But hopefully you do before it's too late. And... If any of my listeners ever want to read me because of their experiences with domestic violence, you will not be met with judgment. I can promise you that. The only thing you will find is support and love. Because I know what it's like, and I know how isolating and lonely and It can be but you're not alone we are not alone and if anyone in the Michigan area needs help or needs a way out please feel free to come to me if you feel safe or if you can and I have resources that can help so please Don't ever be afraid to reach out. So, unfortunately, the story's not quite over yet. There's a bit more to tell you. And before we get into it, this is just a disclaimer, a trigger warning. It's going to get a little dark, and if at any point you find yourself needing to stop or take a break, it's okay, and just know I wouldn't be angry, and I understand. It's hard for me, too. Sometimes I need a break. (sighs) So I'm going to start with where we left off. So, right now. Where we're at in the story, let's just say it's about 2015, and I was 21, and I hadn't seen this person, my abuser, this person that I've been talking about, I hadn't seen him for quite a few months because he joined the military and moved out of state. And after he quit the restaurant, like I said, I didn't talk to him for a while. But, now looking back, I realize this is when the pattern emerged because I believed I was never gonna see this person again. I was never gonna to talk to this person again. I never had to worry about this person again. And then suddenly, almost out of nowhere, he just started to talk to me again. And we would talk pretty frequently. Um, not necessarily every day, after the communication started again, but every few days, um, I would have a message from him. He would always say, at the, at the end of every conversation, he would always say the same thing. He would always remind me that he was gonna be home soon and that when he was home, I was gonna see him. And back then, that made me happy when he would say that I would get excited and you know tell people like "Oh, I'm gonna see him again and you know at this point, I had a few friends say to me, "You know basically I don't have to wait around for him, and you know i'm I'm better than that and just because he calls doesn't mean I have to answer. You know, he, he made the choice to leave and not talk to me for months. But I didn't want to hear that. You'll find that in a few, not all domestic violence cases, because everyone is different, but in a lot of them, or in some of them, you might find yourself saying, I had no idea that this was happening. Or, you know, I thought everything was good or I thought you were happy or, you know, how could you hide this from so long, for so long? And, you know, deep down, I knew what he do- was doing was wrong. It may not have been crystal clear, but a part of me knew that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with everything that happened with this person. But I wasn't going to tell anyone about it. I wasn't going to tell anyone what he did to hurt me or make me uncomfortable or make me feel afraid, because then people would tell me not to talk to him. And at this point, nobody could have stopped me from talking to him. And it's not because I wanted him to hurt me. It's, it's hard to explain if you've never been in this situation before, if you've never had an abuser. But like I was saying in my last episode, and I've mentioned this in a few other episodes, uh, this term called trauma bonding. And basically, in trauma bonding, your abuser, or the abuser, gives positive attention, positive affection, you know, they're kind and nice and sweet. And then, they abruptly take it all away. And they call this the discarding phase. You know, they they don't talk to their victim, or they treat them differently, or they're cold, distant anger. You know, this is when they're abusive. Or outwardly abusive. And the victim doesn't understand why they're suddenly being treated this way. And... They scramble and do whatever they can to get the positive attention and positive affection. And when they're being discarded or the abuser's going through a phase where they're taking away attention, it's a really scary feeling. And you feel out of control, and you just feel like, I have to do anything to get this person back, and to make them happy. Because if they're happy, I'm not going to get hurt. That's what we tell ourselves, or that's what I would tell myself. And this is a real thing. And because of, you know, the chemicals that are released during this process, and especially if there's a history of past trauma, the victim almost, it's almost like they become addicted to their abuser. And not just their abuser, but to the feeling the good the feeling they get when they're receiving the positive attention and positive affection and when their abuser is happy and they want that feeling now we call it a trauma bond they used to call it stockholm syndrome and with stockholm syndrome they said you know you basically fall in love with your abuser and now we have a little bit more information and it's a bit more scientific than that and you know I'm sure people could argue it all day but I for one know that it's not love that makes someone stay in an abusive relationship it's not because they love their abuser it's because they're terrified and They're living in survival mode. And they'll do anything to make sure they survive and that they don't get hurt. You know, um, I spent a lot of time feeling guilty about trauma bonding and the way I thought I felt about my abuser. And I was really ashamed of it. But, you know, um. This is how my therapist puts it. Our bodies are really good at protecting themselves, even if we don't realize it. And some days I still feel shamed, and I still feel gross about the idea of ever having feelings for this person. But I was in survival mode. I just wanted to live. And survival mode is all I knew for a long time. It felt like everything I was doing was to survive. You know, I had to be quiet. And not think about it and Do what I was told and Sometimes it's hard to describe how I was feeling in those moments Because I felt so disconnected with myself You know, like I said in the last video I was changing and You know I had already experienced trauma bonding and being abused and being stuck in survival mode I had already experienced that and so it wasn't really new but at the same time there was a pretty large gap between the time I was abused as a child and the time I started being abused by this person and I had a I had repressed a lot of those memories from my childhood, and I just tried not to think about them. And so that's why it took me so long to connect the dots and, you know, put all the pieces together. still living with the wool over my eyes and I couldn't see this person for who he truly was and you know one day he did come back he did come home one of the first things he did was reach out to me. And. He. We had been in this. Phase of the cycle. Where he was being nice. The whole time. He was talking to me. When. He was out of state. But he got to come home. Because he was going to be deployed overseas for nine months. And so he got to come home to see his family for a couple weeks before they left. had been building because we both knew that this day was coming where I would see him again. And I had no idea what was going to happen. I thought I knew what was going to happen. I thought we would see each other and we would both be happy and it would feel really good and, you know, maybe we would hang out and talk and it would be a really nice time and so one night, it was June. I was 21 a month before I turned 22 and he was home before deployment and we hadn't seen each other in a while and I still thought he was a good guy and he was acting like he was so happy to talk to me And, you know, he was so nice. So we made plans to see each other. And I went and picked him up from his house. And he came over. part always bothers me because I don't quite remember what happened I remember everything about that night from the moment I picked him up until the moment I dropped him off except for this part right here when we got back to my house we got in the door we had talked a little but we hadn't really said much I mean he seemed very happy to see me when I picked him up and I felt happy to see him and you know we said hello and it was a short ride from his house back to mine and we got out of the car We got in, and then I don't remember what happened. One minute, we were walking in the house, and then, you know, we were having sex, and... I don't remember, you know, how we got to the room or really how it started, but it was like immediate as soon as he got in the door. And it happened so suddenly, I didn't really even have time to think about what was happening. And then it was over. Almost as suddenly as it started, it was over. So when he was done, he did his pants back up and looked really pleased with himself and he told me he had to find some liquor because he wasn't done yet and at this point um, I just was going with whatever he said like I said it's hard to explain how I felt in this moment because a part of me that always lives in me and it's the part of me that only comes out in these moments I call it my survivor brain but my survivor brain took over and I was just functioning at this point and going along with him and doing what he said and not fighting. Not fighting it. So he started drinking. I didn't. I didn't drink anything and I knew I was going to have to take home later so I didn't want to get in trouble for drinking and driving so I didn't drink anything and we just talked for a while and he went back to being nice And he just talked to me about life, his life, and what was going on with his life, Emily, and, you know, his feelings, and just catching me up on everything I had missed, you know. And he had to be close to me during this conversation, he was laying on me, and I felt safe, I guess, you know, I let, I let my guard down a bit, we were talking for a while, and, you know, I was so confused because he would hurt me and then talk to me like I was his closest friend or closest companion in the entire world. And I always was distant with him and I didn't talk as much as I listened. So he didn't know a lot about me But he always acted like you know deep down we just knew each other and that's how he made me feel and then i thought i could trust him and i thought i was safe and the way he talked he made it seem like He was always so in love with me, and I was the one who was cold. And I was the one who was distant. And so I didn't want to do anything to hurt him, and I felt really good in that moment. and then he was ready and he got up sat up and said that he was ready and he took off his pants he already wasn't wearing a shirt and he was standing there in front of me and he said I don't have a condom and I didn't really say anything because at this point I would realized that this, there wasn't a question he wasn't asking me for sex there, there wasn't an option at this point this is what was going to happen I was already well aware of that. And so by Survivor brain was turned up all the way. He said, "You know like I said, he said I don't have a condom." I didn't say anything. I didn't have a choice at that point. And then he said, it's okay. I'll be careful. And I didn't really think about it. rape me and I've struggled for a long time with that word and what it means and I did not understand when it happened that that's what had happened. It took me several years and a lot of bad days and a lot of therapists. It took a long time for me to understand what happened and to be able to say what happened. It was very violent. did this, and it went on for a few hours, and he was in total control, and it's just how he wanted things. You know, he yelled at me and screamed at me like I was a child. That's how he always made me feel. And I just knew he was in control. And he knew that I knew there wasn't anything I could do about it. And it felt like that's why he was doing it. assaulting me you know he he hit me too like slapped my hands like I was a child and he
1: hit me in the face
0: pinched me and you know it would just it hit me in different places all over my body and like laugh and mock me when he did it and I remember thinking I remember watching the clock and thinking When is this going to be over? When is he going to be done? And then immediately after saying to myself, you know, just be quiet. He'll be done when he's done. the one thing I really never will forget. And it's hard to explain especially to someone who's never experienced flashbacks or PTSD or nightmares night terrors. It's hard to explain what I mean when I say I'll never forget it. I can see it I can see him in my dreams and in my flashbacks and every time I'm triggered and I think about it that's what I think about and that's what I see it's like it's right in front of me and I can just look up and his eyes are there waiting for me I can't make it go away and I just try to think about other things but I know I will never forget his eyes and I think a big part of it is just how scary they looked just so didn't look angry or enraged, they were just like black, lifeless and cold, and the look on his face, I didn't recognize him, he was a different person. mask fell off of his face and I mean that figuratively and I saw the monster underneath and I was looking it in the eyes and I haven't been able to get it out of my head since uncomfortable and again he was he would mock it and laugh at me and I remember he asked me if I wanted him to stop and I said yes and he said, I don't give a fuck. That's what he said word for word. I don't give a fuck. And he didn't stop. And, you know, he would scream at me or even raise his voice at me or hit me if, you know, I was made too much noise or if I didn't keep my hands down at my sides or if I moved at all and I can't even begin to describe how I felt or what I was really thinking in that moment other than just trying to go until it was over and not think too much about anything. And sometimes, when I have flashbacks about what happened, I don't think about it happening to me in like, real time. It's like, I can see it happening, or I'm watching it happen. Because I can't put myself back into that mindset unless I'm forced into it because nobody knows how they're going to act or how they're going to feel in a situation that their body feels like is life or death and you feel like you're just functioning to survive and make it through this moment because you don't know what's going to happen and you feel utterly terrorized you can't describe that. You can only feel it. He even, you know, took a few breaks to get more liquor and I remember he stopped so he could turn on the lights. over, and he seemed very pleased with himself, I remember just laying there, looking at him, and he was standing in front of a mirror, smiling at himself in the mirror, And he put his clothes back on, and he said he was ready to go. And so I got up, and I was really, I don't know, disoriented when I got up. And just, like, my heart was racing, and my mind was racing. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to feel. I didn't know what to say. I was very quiet. Just let him talk. And I think my brain was scrambling to try and cope with what just happened. You know, like I can't shut down. I have to keep going. I have to keep living my life. But I don't know how to deal with this, so I'm going to do whatever I can do to just be okay and keep going. And then, you know, I, I had to take him home. And the whole ride there, you know, he was telling me that I wasn't allowed to think I can just use him for sex and that I was expected to talk to him. Even when he went overseas, you know, even when he went back to You know, his base. I still had to talk to him every day. And, you know, then he reminded me that we're not together. Um, But At the same time, he said that in the past, I had really hurt him. And that I needed to remember that he was a sensitive soul, and that I, you know, had to be good to him, and I just agreed with him, and I remember him saying to me, you know, oh, you're probably just going to run off and, and get a boyfriend while I'm gone, and then me feeling the need to reassure him that I wasn't going to find anyone, and I wasn't going to be with anyone. to his house we sat out for a while and he talked and then he was ready to go in and he got out of the car and he told me to get out of the car and told me to hug him and I did and then safe, and to come home, and I got back in my car, and I just went home. I always write from the heart. That's why my words are so bloody. Jeff Mack. he did leave and he deployed and I did what I was told and I still talked to him every day I talked all the time and he would always check in with me and I thought it was just you know him caring and being a good guy he would ask me weird questions like you know how are you feeling um, how, you, you've been really tired lately or are you tired or are you feeling sick and me know that um, I should, you know, keep an eye out and take care of myself because said you were going to be careful and then he said I was going to be careful but it was just too good and I know it probably sounds stupid but I was like shocked. admitted it and he didn't care you know he made no attempt to use any kind of protection and he said I was probably pregnant and I was freaked out this was Two weeks after, you know, he had gone back to where he was stationed, and then, you know, he was deployed, and it had been two weeks since I'd seen him. he said that and feeling like it's obvious that he did it on purpose but I didn't really believe that I didn't want to believe that but I was angry with him you know he could have told me sooner but he waited, which also felt intentional. But even after this point, and after I found that out, I still talked to him every day, but every day was kind of, kind of turning into an argument. And it was never enough for him. And he was always, you know, playing games, and he was always upset about something, and he was. It felt like he was making me go crazy. And I never knew what kind of mood he was going to be in. And, you know, he might get really mad one day and say something really mean. And then the very next day, you know, I would block him and he would find a way to contact me. And he would call me selfish and call me a bitch. And, you know, say that I was petty and that I was just being too sensitive and that I had to understand that That's just how he was. And it was about a month of this fighting and going back and forth and not talking and then talking again and anytime he would I would stop talking to him, you know, he would tell me that I was being a bitch and I was being mean to him and you know, sometimes he would even threaten suicide. And I felt bad for him. You know, here he was. Deployed. Defending our country. And all he wanted was to talk to me. And why did I have to be such a bitch? And then. You know, like I said. It had been about a month. And. Wouldn't you know, I missed my period. And then I really started to panic. Please join us next time on hashtag let's talk about it. Next week's episode... I'm going to open up and talk about my miscarriage and I know that this last episode was pretty heavy and this next one's going to be pretty heavy and you know I, I am sorry for that but just remember that that's gonna be okay and I'm okay and I'm in a good place in my life even after all these terrible things happened so let's not lose hope let's remember that there's a bright light at the end of this dark story And nothing bad ever has to last forever. So, I hope everyone has a good week. I hope you stay safe and healthy. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.